This is a Federal News Network podcast. The ransomware threat has spooked nearly everyone. A big unknown is how vulnerable your organization actually is to ransomware attacks. A cybersecurity company called Black Kite says it's developed a way of assessing your risk by using open source intelligence. Here with how it works, Black Kite's chief security officer, Bob Maley. Mr. Maley, good to have you on. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So tell us about this assessment. And you did a pretty good assessment of federal contractors. We'll get to that in a moment. But how can you tell someone's vulnerability to ransomware attacks? So we collect a lot of data about companies that's publicly available on the Internet. We do analysis for our clients. And uh, last year, we had some of our clients ask us, they said, could you figure out a way to see if our vendors are susceptible to ransomware? We're seeing a really good rise in that. So we did, we put some researchers uh, to it and we discovered that there were a certain number of things that bad actors typically employ to break into companies to execute ransomware. So we developed an algorithm that looks at all of our data and extracts that and gives us a probability. It's a number from zero to one. So that's what we did. A scale of zero to one, I guess, or that's a hundred points in there somehow. Yeah, percentage. Got it. And what are the main vectors that you discovered that ransomware people do? I thought it was pretty much phishing. Well, phishing is one of the top two things that happen. And there are some underlying things that make phishing more effective. Uh, There are technical things that have to do with how you have your email configured, their DNS settings, uh, things that a lot of companies just aren't paying attention to. The second most thing that bad actors are doing, they're looking for open remote access ports on your servers on the internet. That's what happened at Colonial Pipeline, for instance. Got it. So old-fashioned hacking in is still very much a vector. They don't necessarily rely on the weak employee that clicks on that link. Absolutely. It's been this way for 20 years. Ransomware was invented 20 years ago, but the bad guys have just gotten better at figuring out how to get it inside our networks. Well, the implication here then is that the companies that you're testing need to let you look at what ports might be open. And that's kind of a scary prospect. (laughs) Well, they don't need to let us look at it. They're actually open that the bad actors can see. That's why it's so concerning that it's out there for anybody that knows how to go out and look for these things. They can do it. And is that a basic cybersecurity hygiene measure, closing ports that are unused? Yes, it is. I I know it's interesting. The uh, Department of Homeland Security put up a website uh, a few months ago called StopRansomware.org. And the top things that they recommend you do to stop ransomware were things that they've been telling people to do for at least the last two to 10 years. So these are not new things. You can probably cite the page on NIST special publication 853 where that particular piece of advice is. Yes, I'm sure. I haven't memorized it, but I know it's in there somewhere. It's a pretty big document. I have not either. And a recent report that you put out showed the degree of vulnerability to ransomware in parts of the defense industrial base and the federal contracting community. Tell us more about what you found there. So what we did was we looked at the top 100 by contract value in the DIB, and we ran those companies through our research, and we discovered that there was a higher percentage of them that also were failing in these basic things that bad actors look for, and they were susceptible to ransomware. Can you give us some numbers? Like you said, there's a scale of zero to one. Was the average above a certain point where it goes from you're probably okay to where you're in the risky territory? 
Yeah, we saw that 20% of those top 100 uh, were highly susceptible. And what that means is they were somewhere over a 0.60 in the ransomware susceptibility index. And you mentioned open ports and we talked about phishing attacks. Is there any other indicator of high vulnerability? There is. So some of the things that bad actors look for, they look for leak credentials. The credentials are user IDs and passwords that are for sale on the dark web. And we found that 42% of those contractors had at least one leak credential out on the dark web in the last 90 days. And we saw that patch management. Uh, There was a lot of servers that were using older operating systems that are typically targeted by ransomware bad actors. We're speaking with Bob Maley. He's chief security officer at Black Kite. And of course, those, again, a basic hygiene issue is, I mean, continuous diagnostics and continuous monitoring and patching have been federal policy now for several administrations. And that's for federal systems. And you would think contractors ought to follow the same best practices. But I want to talk about the phishing angle for a moment. And is it possible to assess whether a company is susceptible to phishing, because that depends a lot on its employees, how well they're trained, how sensitive they are to it. And that would seem to be a tougher thing to get at than whether they have open ports. Well, yes, it's a little bit more complicated, but some of the things that can make a company or a contractor a little bit more resilient to phishing is there are technical things in the way their email is configured. It's called uh, DMARC, DKIM, SPF. These are things that you can do that when they're registered, it makes the domain a little bit more phishing proof. And what I mean by that is the top email providing companies like Microsoft and uh, Google and Yahoo and all the others, they look at that information. And when they see an email that doesn't have those attributes, they say, ah, this is a spoofing or a phishing email and they block it before it even gets into a company. So that's one of the things that we can see that companies that don't have those things can figured correctly, but it's also one of the easiest things to fix. Yeah, the DMARC standard is not something new, but it just seems to have heightened importance in the ransomware era. Absolutely. None of these things are new. All right. So what should companies do in the CMMC area then when everybody's looking at everybody else's supply chain or U.S. part of the supply chain are being looked at? Everyone's peeping into everyone's kimonos here. Uh, It seems like it's time to get to the basics of guidance coming out right from the government itself. Well, CMMC, that's a complicated question. Now that we have 2.0 just came out, there are changes to it already. And in reality, CMMC is a compilation of existing controls. There's really nothing new in CMMC. What it is, it's an effort to try to put it into a single type of audit that the contractor base, the DIB base, the 300,000 vendors are subject to the same compliance regimen. So that's the goal of CMMC. While I think it's a great goal, I don't think that CMMC will really have a whole lot of effect in slowing ransomware down. Got it. And with respect to some of those other technical issues like closing ports and making sure you're running the latest and most patched versions of software, especially operating systems, but some of the applications also, I had thought that at this point in history, companies would have automated ways of doing that with a dashboard report on your OSs and your patching, and that it was kind of set and forget. But it sounds like still a lot of hunting and and nailing to do. Well, it's not so much knowing what's there. It's understanding what the business implications are if you're going to patch 
or if you're going to upgrade an operating system. Imagine you're a technical person who's responsible for patching systems and you're urgently telling your business that we need to upgrade this operating system because it's out of date, it's old, we can't even get patches for it anymore. And management will say, well, can you guarantee that that's not going to break our applications? What kind of a decision are you going to make? You can't guarantee that. So a lot of times people just hope that they don't become victims and they continue to do business as usual. In the case of phishing attacks, where what they want is return of data and return for money, is encryption a good protection against that? Well, no. It is a protection against the second level in a ransomware attack. So there's two levels that happen. The first one is they encrypt your data and they require you to pay ransom so you can unencrypt it and use the data. The second thing is then they will then sell your data as well. If it's already encrypted, it kind of stops that second level of attack, but it still doesn't give you access to your own data because they've encrypted it as well. So your best advice is take the assessment. Yes, and address the simple things. It's it's not the hundreds of controls in CMMC, although compliance is important and I understand why that's being done, but Think the way the bad actors do. Address the things that they're using to get into your networks first. Be proactive. Bob Maley is Chief Security Officer of Black Kite. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. 57 past the hour. This is The Federal Drive with Tom Temin. For the latest updates, stay with federalnewsnetwork.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And 
you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. 
uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gain the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening, to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Explore today's must-have trends and innovative styles at Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. Shop one-of-a-kind finds in today's must-have trends. Explore wall-to-wall deals, furniture, flooring, mattresses, home accents, seasonal favorites, and more. Discover unique new home decor, pillows, accessories, and more. There's something perfect for your style and budget. There's new inventory every day at up to 80% off suggested retail. Discover the style and savings of the new Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. Looking to expand or move your company? Ohio has the talent you need to scale for growth. Ohio's central location, reliable infrastructure, and top-ranked business climate are here to help you succeed. Get to business. Visit successinohio.com today.